Hello, everyone. It's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to season two, episode 17. And I'm changing the format a little bit. I'm getting right into my guests. So today on the show, we have Michael Lynn, um, the founder or co-founder of The Village, the founder of The Advocates, and the co-host of America 20 to Life. And it's our uh, Martin Luther King Day, June, Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, conversation. So right on, right on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how's your day going so far? It's just starting, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, let's let's kind of talk about the maybe the good, the bad, and the ugly of Martin Luther King Day, and what you know. How do you feel on this day? Um, you know, it's odd. It's like a day that it's almost like a, you know we talked about this earlier about kind of these days that people celebrate. And that's the only time they live the day or live the, the the mindset of the day. And so today for people who are actually involved in this fight constantly, um, you know, to live up to MLK's you know dream or, you know, what he has stood for, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of aggravating watching how people celebrate this day. And then the other 364 days of the year, they're just out here kind of uh, perpetrating the exact issues. So. Yeah. Uh, that's really my that's really my point on it you know like it's aggravating do you have a do you have like a routine that you do on this day is there a way that you celebrate it at all or uh for the last two years i've been down there so either right before or right recently i've been going down to florida for the winter over the last two years so after the last two years i went actually to mlk's home uh where he grew up at and just went through the museum there and so on so that's that's my own little thing, like the big celebration aspect of it. I just try to learn, you know, learn from what his teachings were, listen and really pay attention to what he was going through at that time. I mean, we can't forget that he was assassinated for the for the movements that he was on. Uh, so I go there and try to just kind of breathe in what he was breathing and feel that that energy down there. So that's what I've done over the last two years. It's the first year in the last, again, three that I, that I haven't been down there. Right. Um, it's obviously an important day. Right. We should we should celebrate him. We should mark different, um, I guess, milestones. You know what's happening year after year. It's a day to reflect, mm -hmm. but also people call it a day of service. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the day that you get out and do your service. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this on Christmas. You know, we're here. Punks with lunch is here. We're distributing food. And whether it's the 25th or the 26th or 27th, all that work still has to be done. Facts. Um, what What do you think? People need this, though, right? There's. I there's don't some, necessarily know that I do. I, I think that that's the point. I don't necessarily need this to be a day of service. Um, I think that if people literally lived his, you know, his existence, what it was while he was on this earth, it wouldn't be a day that that's the day you get active, or that's the day you give back, or that's the day you fight injustices. You know, that's the problem. I feel like for me anyways, it's, it's actually these days, um, you know, that oppressors like get a day off of being called out, you know, and this is that day that they get to stand up with all of us and act like everything's okay. Um, you know, just over the years, since I've really been paying attention and I'm 40 years old now, but 
I didn't pay attention all the way up until I was about 34, 35 to really what was going on. And I started to witness it and watch it and really start to understand like how people move. And um, maybe some people do need this day. I'm somebody who works constantly uh, to live up to that. And so this day doesn't, you know, again, what I see on this day is a lot of people that are, shouldn't be in the positions they are uh, representing that they live by the MLK way. And so it's, it's aggravating. I, I don't know any other word to use. It's just, it's upsetting. Um, you know, and I guess well, at some point in time, we may go to this conversation, but I know the first MLK dinner I went to, um, my son was being, you know, had, had been asked to come there. They had just taken me at, at a Lansing Catholic, uh, you know, and they had had this whole conversation in Lansing Catholic to try to suspend them and all these things. And they invited them there. Uh, to the MLK dinner at the Lansing Center. And then the very first thing they did while we were there is take is stand up for the national anthem and played it and had somebody sing it. And I just thought how hypocritical that was that on MLK Day, during an active, peaceful protest that's going on, young and old alike are involved in this, and it's a national thing, that we would come here and, and just go completely against that movement, almost like crossing a picket line. And, and we invited these young men to come here. So like our table, which was me and the four boys and uh, some of their families was the only table that didn't stand. So you guys kind of made us all like, it just, again, and then they had people up on the stage who were actively oppressing the black community as we sit. Uh, it was just really a shame, it was shameful. Um, and I wouldn't expect it to be any different this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing tonight what they do uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, I remember the press picked up on that you know, in particular that you guys didn't stand yeah. during that event. And I don't know why anybody would have expected you to. I mean, that yeah. that's why the kids were there. They were protesting in a peaceful yeah. way. And yeah. again, you know, stand up, yeah. sit down, shut up, get in your place, yeah. all of that. This is the only day that people acknowledge racism. I mean, it's not the only day, but it's like the only day when people put out the quotes that MLK stated and, you know, you see people who are actively oppressing folks every other day of the year sharing quotes. And you can see on their Facebook pages, like the comment section, people be eating them up for it. You know, and there's a lot of people who have said leading up to today, if I see you doing that and I know that you're 364 days out of the year oppressing folks, I'm calling you out. Um, so, like, it's necessary, I think, you know, for us to really stand in our truth on this day rather than fake and act like everything's OK and just stand up on stage and act like we're all good. And if you don't mind, I, that's a theme of yours, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to let the bullshit get in the way. You're mm -hmm. not going to let the oppressor stand up for a photo op. You're not, you're not going to let that same old way just keep happening. Right. And a lot of people want you to do that differently, right? Yeah. They want you to play the chess game where you're nice over here at this cocktail party. So you yeah. get this over here. Why is it important not to do that? I think it gives a false narrative to people who aren't paying attention. I remember I was somebody who didn't pay attention. I was somebody who would only see those photo ops and believe that that person was a good person because they stood with this person who I did respect. And so I feel like at every moment of your day, we're on every damn day, like every single moment, you have to be protecting your influence and protecting your, your, you know, your uh, presence in the community. And if you are somebody who's willing to stand with somebody to further their agenda while their agenda is hurting the same people you stand with, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, a dangerous aspect. So we've seen that over the last couple of years. Like that's one of the things that I think is so important to recognize is there's a new form of oppression that that employs black people 
in order to hide inequities. Like we're going to be very inequitable, but we got our black people doing it to you. So it's just still it's still a line that 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 kind of forms along like um, financial and, you know, like the poor people of the world and the community are ones who are just disposable to these folks. So as long as we allow black folks in our in our in our community or in our room, you know, to crack the whip on the other black folks or other poor white people or poor people, then we're okay. We're equitable. And that's just not true. And so if I stand with you while you're doing that, because optically you want to look good to the community that you care about our people, I'm, I'm using my influence for bad. And I don't, I just don't believe that that's where I want to be at personally. And by strengthening the oppressor like that, you keep them in that position, right? right? Exactly. I, I posted, I tweeted the other day that poverty is a policy decision. And one of my friends in South Africa retweeted it and it went kind right. of wild all over South right. Africa. And, you know, part of the show is people can't take every damn day. You've got to keep working because yeah. people can't take a break from poverty. They can't take a break right. from oppression. They can't take a break from right. whatever they're struggling with. What? Oppression is a policy statement too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is why we can't, all of us, we can't just work in the street on the problem. We've got to take that back and affect policy and affect yep. change. Yep. And I admire you because sure. you, you said from the beginning, you're going to state your voice mm-hmm. and you have stated your voice. I know I, I don't think there's ever been a day in my my relationship with you where I don't know exactly where I stand with you. Mm. And where we are, there's daggers and men's oh, smiles. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. with you, I'll take you every day because <laughs> I know where you're going to be. Yeah. I know where you're at yeah. and I know what side you're on. People think that because I call things out and sometimes that's people that I'm just this aggro, like super aggressive person. But what they don't recognize is that I've always tried to have that conversation behind closed doors with people before I have to come to this point. And so if they see me out here angry or upset at somebody or calling out an issue, it means that that person has blatantly looked me in my eyes and told me that what they're doing is okay in their mind. And so I have to go a separate level. And now we're not in a relationship where we understand or we're trying to find coexistence. You're in a relationship where you want to manipulate and beat me down to the point where I don't speak on your injustices. So that's the point uh, that when I'm at that level with people, it's more than likely because they've decided at that point. And you just, you know, you're a person I could always come and talk to, although I never see any of that oppressive behavior come from you. uh, If I think if I did and I was able to, if I was to come to you, you know, you would recognize it and and, and try to rectify it rather than just say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, Mike. And then put me at that level now where I have to be an activist towards you. You know what I'm saying? So that's why that relationship works. Yeah, I ain't trying to activate you towards me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. What what are we not talking about that we should be talking about right now? I think I I touched on it earlier. The biggest point that I that I found, you know, I'll I'll talk on a real real. polarized aspect of the conversation of me even coming on the show, you know, people started saying, well, what about the old cats? You know, like what about the people who've been involved in this thing for a while and, and this, that, the other. And I think um, we have to recognize there's gatekeepers that look like us, black folks do, and uh, people who intend to continue to gatekeep, I think need to recognize that we're seeing you. Um, so there's a lot of people that may have had, um, relevancy in this in this fight years past that have 
really either been co-opted or they've gotten to the point where they just don't have any fight in them anymore. But those are the people that are still being brought to the table and they're black, you know, and that's just really unfortunate that we can't really move forward in this fight when we have people who are always willing to like slide a, a soft pillow up under the oppressor when we almost got about to fall. And that's really what I've, I've seen over the last two or three years is we get this real good push. And again, you said the boots on the ground, but then we have to have people inside for policy. And when we get some of these gatekeepers inside for policy, they get turned, you know, and it's mm. like that's been a real issue that we can sit in a room of organization and talk to 10 or 15 people and some who, of which might have been, you know, the people who, you know, stood tall like we do now today. But then once they get in a room, it's like always this. How can we work it out in unity and so on? So I think that's a part, part that they really needs to be focused on is that all black folks ain't, ain't alike. We don't all think alike. We may have the same goals, but the ways of getting there is, is always going to be different, just like Malcolm and, and Martin. You know, a lot of people say I, I, I lean more towards Malcolm. Um, but I think I, I think I'm in I'm in the, in the same realm of both of them in the aspect that I believe in peaceful protest, but also I'm about any means necessary. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. I will go either way it takes to get to our end of goal. But uh, there's a lot of people who aren't willing to really fight that battle. Well, with the the amount of gun violence that we have with the kids that we're losing, I don't know, it seems like once a week, but it's not quite yeah. that. Um, but it's horrible. We it's got to be all means necessary, right? We need every tool in our toolbox that is productive, yeah. not the ones pulling us back, but yeah. the ones moving us forward. Yeah. What do you want to speak on gun violence? Yeah, I mean, it's a situation that we're 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 eating the the processes that have been in place for years and years and years. And now we don't like the way it tastes like ultimately they've been defunding our community for years and years and years. Um, you know, these kids just feel hopeless out here in the world. And hopeless means you you drive down the street at 110 miles an hour. You don't comb your hair. You might not do certain things that, that you know, that um, that you would see in a normal a person that's normally moving through the world healthily. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that right now. And then everybody's like, well, I don't understand why. But then when we go to put solutions into place, you put the same solutions you've had in play for 40 years, which is more policing, still not putting funds in where they need to go. You're still not showing young people that they're loved and cared about. Uh, you're still on some punitive damage and locking everybody up. So these are, you know, I, I, I what I watch is, you know, you had made a statement at the uh, at the commissioner's meeting that again was, you know, just amazing. You were talking about like people's perception of me. And sometimes we're not trying to change the world around us. We're trying to be the change and so on. And I'll let you quote that, but um, the world around us has a certain formula for fixing all things and it's what they feel comfortable with. And we don't never step out of that way. So therefore their gatekeepers continue getting offered, you know, uh, offered a space in the room or space at the table to continue with the same uh, dysfunction that's happened forever. And we just change is something that we just aren't, aren't used to. And I think with advanced peace and just to talk on that real quick, that's what that's what stood out to me is that it is a change. It's different. It's not, it's not talked about as in we're going to get the same individuals who we've always worked with and just give them a different program. One of the reasons why it's so special is that we want to go to the affected area, hire those people to do the work, because that's what's never been done. We never go to where they're affected and say, all right, you got felonies, you got this, you got that. You know, you're a person who nobody wants to be around because they think you're aggressive and dangerous. Let's give you a job and have you actually fix the, you know, give the solution to the problem. And so when that came here, I thought that's what we need to be doing because that's what I had already been doing. 
Um, but then when the powers that be got in the way, they was like, oh, wait a minute. We don't feel comfortable with those people. So let's put our comfortable people in place. So that's just what it is with gun violence. It's the same thing. It's just we're doing the same things over and over again, expecting different outcomes, which, of course, we know is insanity. But if you look back 20 years ago when I was in the streets, I would have been 20 years old, even 25 years ago when I was in the streets doing the same things these young men are doing. If you look back at LSJ and they have you can do this, you can go back to archives. We have the same headlines from 25 years ago that we do today. And the only thing that's changed is the is the date. But the same solutions are being brought forward, the same arguments from the people in the, down on the streets to the people up top in the administration. They were making the same arguments. They were giving the same response. And so I look back to a day that I was very familiar with because I was involved in something that was in the newspaper. And I look back and that situation was there. Uh, Reverend Stone was fighting with Hollister about changes and he was making changes without speaking to the people. And then there was also a stabbing at Everett. I look back to that very first, the same time frame, 25 years later, and the same things are in the newspaper. So the, the only thing I can think is that we're just not looking for change. We're not doing anything different. So how can we expect a different outcome? See, and what I, you know, when I talk with people about gun violence, you can tell whether they've been involved yeah. or not, yeah. because um, the way they look at the causes, the way they look at the solutions are grandiose yeah. in a lot of ways. And, yeah. you know, I'm a big advocate for getting the kids involved, the kids on both sides, the shooters, yeah. the victims, everybody, because at the end of the day, they know the cause. They know yeah. some solutions. And if we try to buy a solution from Boston or San Francisco, yeah. It's just not going to work here because the causes are different. The yeah. people are different. How how can we engage with the how how do you uh, how do I? Well, yeah, sort of. I don't pick oh. sides. I think that's the one thing that we have to be we have to really understand is that every shooter is a, is a, is a kid or individual, and I don't pick sides. And that's one thing that I see that's very dangerous is when people pick sides of a, of a conflict and somebody says, "Well, you're right and you're wrong." And they don't always look at the behind the scenes like we always talk about arguments that happen. And I was saying that before, like people will see me come out against somebody and they're just like, Mike's just unreasonable. Here he comes coming after somebody else. But there was like 50 days of argument before that. Uh -huh. And all you seen was this door slamming me yelling. And then I'm the bad guy in that situation. So in every conflict with gun violence, it's the same thing. We don't know that that kid that shot that kid hadn't been being told he was going to be killed for 30 days and then you know he tried to resolve it and so if you're not digging into that and you're just picking a side based off of whatever rumor you're hearing you can't be you can't be successful in this in this you know gun violence intervention you have to be able to look at this from a non-biased perspective and just really try to pull them apart regardless at that point pull them apart and then start working back how you can to stop the conflict from happening and ending in gun gun violence and a lot of people don't do that because that it's always a right wrong you know, whoever's the shooter is the wrong person in a lot of people's minds. And I don't look at it that way because I was involved in this stuff. And I recognize that a lot of times I wasn't wrong. I just I may have used the wrong tool to, to, to protect myself or whatever the case is. But I was right in my mind about why I was doing what I was doing. If we're not searching that out, you're going to have a whole lot of people that are involved with this. They're going to that aren't really paying attention to what's really going on. So that's what I do. I look at both sides and I don't pick a side. I just try to figure out how we stop that violence. <laughs> I uh, you said something they had been maybe talking about it for 30 days mm -hmm. leading up to the shooting. Um, I I indirectly know Elijah Brooks, mm -hmm. who was shot 
uh, last week in, mm -hmm. on 700 block of Penn. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I looked at his Facebook page. Um, and on Christmas Day, he said, y'all don't understand how hard it is to stay alive out here. I bet I'm not alive for 30 more days or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. And he was dead within two weeks yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, the signs are out there. People just don't look for them. And even when they see them, they don't understand how to deal with them. And uh, I know what that means. And I've been in that position where I felt like I wasn't going to live for a couple more days. So I understand all of that. And that's you're right. It, it does take you can be involved. And this is what I see over Lansing is that if you have a felony, you're automatically prerequisite your prerequisite to work with gun violence that may not be that type of felony it could be a drug offense you could be a user you could be somebody who just breaks in houses it you need to be directly involved with people who understand gun violence and understand dealing with people surrounding that because it's it's a special thing and not special good but it's a special uh talent to understand what that means and how that goes so when you when you're working well let me say something real quick I don't think any of these kids were ever born to be a shooter mm -hmm. that when they were in their crib, they, you couldn't look them in the eye right. and say, Oh, he's going to be a shooter. Right. We did this to them. Mm -hmm. We as a community, yeah. we as a society, we as a judicial system, yeah. we do this. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the kid who shot Elijah mm -hmm. and thinking, look how young he, look at that baby face, mm -hmm. you know, look at how young he is. And I mean, no disrespect to the families that are harmed by this. Um, but I, I did look at him and think, how the hell did we do this to him? And I take a lot of heat when I ask people or I tell people, this is your fault too. Yeah. Oh no, I raised my kids right. And but let's right. also think of it from this perspective that that's just an accusation at this point. That's that oh, yeah. size sorry. thing that sorry, I don't sorry, like. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Not, not, not against Very you, but like, point. it's an accusation at this point. We don't know what really happened. We don't know that, you know, like there's a whole lot of aspects surrounding that, that we don't know everything. And until you do, again, you know, there's no real picking size because both of these people could have been angry at each other and just one of them got the up. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean that if he didn't get the up, he would have been dead. So that's the war we're, we're talking about that a lot of people don't wrap their mind around is that just because somebody died doesn't mean they weren't an aggressor in the situation or vice versa. So we have to keep that open. And it's still just a, it's still just an accusation right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very but good you, point. But the point you're making, though, about these young kids and baby faces and all of that stuff. And like we do have to look at that. And that's what I think about when I think about gun violence is that's just a kid. You know, that's just a kid. Either they're 25, 24, 23. Like that's just a kid. You know, what brought them to that point? Let's walk back. Find out what brought them to that point. I was I was I took a kid home from my gun safety class the other day 16 years old and he talked about when he turned 16 he got 500 for his birthday and the first thing he wanted to do is buy a gun and i know why but of course i asked why and he says because everybody's got them and i don't want to i don't want to be killed because i stepped on somebody's shoe or because they think I, I like their girlfriend and every beef is turning out into that this is a 16 year old telling me that this is the world he's living in right now so like that's the type of life that these young people are living in and then when an incident happens we immediately go to guilty, unguilty, or guilty, and then victim instead of like surrounding ourselves and why did it get to this point? What, where do we miss as adults, you know, in this in this issue? And a lot of those issues, Facebook is like a diary to all of this stuff. If you really look back, you can see where this this thing either started at between these two arguing, and then it got to this point, and then now it's like been a thing where they're going back and forth with each other, and so it's just a lot, man. Yeah, Snapchat too. 
Snapchat's people love a big how that disappeared. Yeah, that's, that's a right. big one. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think about what are the options? What's the options for that sixteen-year-old? You know, yeah. Because you can say, well, that's not going to be good for you, or that. Yeah. But you ain't protecting them. So let me tell you, not you. Yeah, yeah. Us. Let me tell you, when I was a kid, I was seventeen years old. I just came home from the youth center. I got waved to a dog court, and I came home. I beat all those charges, and I came home. And I was like, I want to get my life together. I want to go back to school. The problem was I hadn't been to school since ninth grade, and I was 17 now. I went to Everett. I spoke to, I believe her name was Miss Johnson at the time, and she was like, well, you just don't have enough credits to graduate. That was a turning point. That was a point when if she had to help me, I might not have got into the next four incidents that I got into of trouble. So there's always a turning point when young people, when they realize, like, I don't want to live this life, but who's there? Where's the support system at that moment? And are you available? So I always try to just be available. I may talk to a young man like for months and months and months. And he's talking to me about all the gangster shit nonstop. Like, yeah, such and such and all of that. And I let him do it. And I don't try to deter him away from that. I just try to, you know, talk him like, you think maybe this is a better way? You know, it's always a time to implement that. But what I always want to do is be available when that switch hits on them, that I'm there for the resources. So how can I protect them by resourcing them out of their situation? Do they need to get back in school? Is the school dangerous? Can I get them over here to this school? Do they need something like what is the issues that are that are driving them to this point? Do I need to go talk to their ops? Is there an op that you worried about? Like, are you saying that I can't go to this school because these people are trying to kill me? So then maybe I can use my influence and find who's close to that opposition to get them to stop wanting to kill you. There's all those levels of this thing that we can do to, to help and protect. But ultimately, you know, it, it's just a, it's an every damn day job and every minute job, honestly, because it, it just doesn't stop. And we can have an agreement today that one Facebook like or post or, you know, somebody said somebody said something could turn into something you know, the next day. So it's just an everyday thing. Yeah. But I, I think to ultimately answer your question is be available. If you're if you're as somebody who has influence with that young person, when they're ready to change, you have to have already created that environment that they feel comfortable coming to you to get the resources, whatever they need. But you got to be available. You got to be available to them. And you got to be available on that first day. Yeah. Because as soon as you say no, yeah, I'm not talking to you. You're a shooter. They're going to say whatever. Now you're done. disengaged yep. and you'll yep. never form that relationship. That's it. And I don't think people understand that. Yeah. And they don't understand how dangerous it is, right? Oh, super dangerous. Because you could piss off the wrong guy by Absolutely. talking to the wrong guy. Absolutely. As people right now, like you got to always constantly be stating that, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a position where I am picking sides. Like I have to say that. And even the, the hood don't always listen to that. If you're seen with somebody, they just automatically op you. Like you're, you're a part of that group. So you have to constantly be like showing that I'm, I'm a part of trying to make sure all of you all live. That's just my, always my motto. I want to see you live. That's it. I don't care about y'all's beef that y'all got. I just want to see you live. And you got to constantly be telling both sides that because right now at this point, it really is death by affiliation. It doesn't matter if you're involved or engaged, family members are getting shot. Like it's it's just it's death by affiliation. So it's a lot of work to show that I'm I'm here for all parties, you know. And I don't look down on them. And that's that's something that a lot of people do because I was them and I understand what just help and resources somebody loving you can bring you to. Look at myself. I was the 15-year-old, 20-year-old shooter. I was an idiot out here. And then I got to a point where I, I changed my life and was able to draw back on my morals so i understand that these kids all have that in them and can have this at some point and some people look at look at how people look at me mm -hmm. 
I'm a firefighter for Christ's sake. <laughs> I got hired on to one of the best fire services in the state. I'm a firefighter. I am a person who does nothing but gives back, but I'm constantly being told and people are telling people that I'm this gangsterous thug, that this, 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 how could you imagine if they're looking, how are they looking at the people who are actually what they believe to be? Who are, who, how are they looking at people who actually are committing crimes or actually, so like that matters. And those people see that they have a real high bullshit meter. When you step into the room, they can tell if you bought that action or if you just out here trying to get a dime or try to look good. So, um, you know, I just look at that, you know, how do people look at me? So if they look at me that way, you know, how I can't even imagine how they look at people who yeah. are active out here. Here in America, firefighters are heroes. Oh, yeah. Unless you're right? me. Unless you're me. So <laughs> I I think that's we got to reiterate this a little yeah. bit. You are you are a hero, right? I mean, yeah, from I from yeah. the firefighter perspective. Yeah. In my mind, you're a hero from a lot of kids lives. Uh, uh, Erica just posted the village wants all our young people to live. Yeah. And I think about, you know, I look at everybody and say, this is your responsibility too. This is extreme ownership. We all have a role that we're playing in this, whether it's looking at some young man as if he's some thug. Is that the word you use? Mm. And that's the you know, word they use, yeah. yeah prejudging yeah. like that and creating that bias right in the first seconds of the relationship, yeah. right? Tattoos on your face? What yeah. are you, a gangster? Yeah. All that shit, right? What if I look at all these people in the eye or you look them in the eye and say, here's what you can do today and you start today and you do it again tomorrow? What what's like something an average person? Let's even yeah. Let, I'm gonna use yeah. their own words against them. Yes, come in love. Everybody's always preaching this love, 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 Lansing, love this, love that, and you don't come in love. You don't come in love. You come with all your all of your judgment. You come with all of your uh, speculation, and then you live and move on that. So if you're gonna do something, come in love, and love will make you look deeper than what you see on the surface. Love will make you forgive. Love will make you walk with somebody. You know, I hear all that, that all the time from like, you know, Christian organizations and preachers it's like we're going to walk them in love. But the only people I see you walk in love are oppressors. That's the only time that has ever actually action item and actually done is when I see you walking with the Andy Shore who's oppressing and pressing and pressing. And then when you're asked why you do that against the black community who is harming, you say, well, we walk everybody in love, but you don't walk those kids you see as thugs in love. So that's what I would say is live your truth. Live what you say. If you say you walk with love, then do that with everybody. There's not a person who's a shooter or a gangster. They're in a circumstance. And this is how they work themselves out of that circumstance and may work themselves into a worse one. But walk them in love, like find out what the heck you can do daily to help that person. So that's what I would say is walk in love for real. Don't don't just say it. Live it. Love wins. Right on. Let me throw this up by Leah or Mila. Um, love him without expecting payment too. Right. Quit keeping score. Love everybody. Yeah. What did we forget to talk about? Oh, I mean, I, there's so much, man. As I far as MLK a lot of things goes, goes we, we oh, broke yeah. out a lot of other stuff. But I would, I would say to the people to watch the oppressors today. MLK is that day when all the oppressors stand on stage and uh black folks alike will coddle them and um you know forgive all things that they've done throughout the rest of the year i would say watch the oppressors today i think somebody named in there sheriff wrigglesworth now you know all of the conversation that's been surrounding him over the last couple of days 
and he's a part of the MLK commission. Uh, I, I, you know, in the heat of the battle of all of this stuff going on with the NAACP and, uh, and uh, MLK Day and like all of this stuff, they had Andy Shore standing up there speaking to us. So just watch the oppressors and watch how they move. Um, it's like this is their day to shine. And I don't understand that thought process. And this is why I can't ever get in line with all of that stuff. But just that's what I would say to people is watch the oppressors. Watch how they move today compared to how they move tomorrow. Every oppressor you see stand up there on the stage, Google their ass and see what, what's really going on. Don't be fooled today. And don't forget, the kids are also watching and right. they see the future we're building for them and they don't like it and they don't see the opportunity yeah. and they don't see the options. So reckless behavior is what you're seeing out of that. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I love you a lot. Love you too, brother. Thank you very, very much for Absolutely. coming on the show. I hope that you know, whatever you need to get out of this day, you get out of this day, but yeah. you've certainly motivated me yeah. to look at things differently and appreciate that, you know, it, it is every damn day. Yeah. And I love the work y'all do. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow on every damn day. Um, go out and show some love, man. Smile at that person you're scared of and you know, say hi to them, help them with something. You'd be super surprised. I can guarantee it. Yeah. Love y'all.